The well is an ordinary place that takes on extraordinary meaning through encounters with Jesus. Join Father Anthony Messer from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church in Arlington, Virginia, in search of transformation, healing, revival, and refreshment. Good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA where we are in week three. We are wrapping up a series that is entitled, That They May Be... Oof. That They May Be... One. That's all we're talking about right here is that they may be one. This was the final prayer that Jesus uttered before he died, uh, before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he died on the cross the next day. This is Jesus' final wish. After everything that he had done and poured out on his disciples and taught them and given to them, he said, I just got one thing I need from you guys right now. I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to, to work on patience. I don't need you to make sure that you put money in the money box at church. All those things are great. I don't need you to read the scriptures. I don't need you to fast. All those things I want you to do. But the one final thing that I need for my church needs to be known for. My church needs to be known for the defining characteristic that they may be, help me out, they may be one. one. That's what we've been talking about for the past three weeks. If you missed any of them, please make sure you go to our YouTube page and get caught up. Today we're going to wrap up by talking about where do we go from here. We talked about unity for the past couple weeks, and what I discovered, you probably agree with me, unity is the easiest subject in the world to talk about. Because everybody agrees. Like, there's no one out there that says, no, I believe in division. Division, division, division. I believe in hate. Nobody believes that. Unity is easy for us to sit here and talk about and preach it, and everybody, hmm, agree, okay, uh, thumbs up emoji, okay, you know, like it, whatever, share, whatever. But that's not the goal. Jesus didn't come and say, give me all your agreement. He didn't say that they all may agree on unity, that they may do something about it. Our topic today, how can we go from intellectually agreeing on unity? that you guys need to be united with you guys, and you guys should accept you guys, and we should all embrace whoever. We all agree. How can we go from intellectual to actual practical in life to do something about it? And what I'm going to suggest, I'm going to suggest three ideas. You can call them steps. Maybe they're steps. They're really more mindset shifts, a shift in our mindset that if we can make these three, and you're going to see when I get into them, they're small. They're not big. I'm not asking anybody to do anything big. I'm going to ask you to do three shifts in your mindset. And I believe that if we can do this together, we can change the way we look at unity and hopefully practice what Jesus asked us to do. Because agree with me, you would all agree with me, we live in a very divisive world today. We do not live in a world that is pro-unity. We live in a world that is very divided and encourages more division. Because the easiest thing to do, the easiest thing to do is to criticize others, to find a reason to say you're different than me, to find a reason not to say you're different, Okay, but different, parentheses, wrong. That your way is wrong. Those people don't see the world as I see it. They're wrong. Those people don't raise their children the right way. They're wrong. Those people don't behave the way I behave. They're wrong. Those people cheer for the wrong team. They're clearly wrong. Easiest thing to do is to put up barriers and put up walls. But do you know who is a professional whose job, not only his job description, but his job title is to divide? and bring division into the world? Do you know the word devil? The Greek word for devil, devil is diablos. Say diablos. Diablos literally means to divide or separate or quote, throw against. That's what the devil's job is, to divide. That's what he comes in to divide. He wants to divide me from God and me from you. Because if I'm apart from God and I'm apart from you, he wins. 
Okay, just like, a, like Jesus said, is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Divide and conquer. That's the, devil's, that's the devil's mission statement in a nutshell. His goal is to divide, to separate. Jesus was the exact opposite. Let's look at Jesus' prayer now in John chapter 17. This is what we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Let's see the verse before and after just to give us the full context. John 17, 20 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's pause right there for one second. Sorry. I do not pray for these alone. Who's these that he's praying for? Who's these, literally? Okay, right there, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's with his disciples, and he had just finished this long discourse with them, and then he's been praying for them, to protect them, and that they may preach the word, and they may do all that stuff. And then he finishes up that prayer, and he says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is those who will believe in me through their word? Who is that? That's me. You realize right there, Jesus is praying for me and you. The year 2023. He's praying for us right now because we only believe because of their word. Because Jesus prayed for them, prayed for them, prayed for them, prayed for them, and said, I'm going to put them on the shelf. Now let's pray for those who are going to come to me through them. Because Jesus knew that divisions would abound. Jesus knew that the world would be divided along so many lines. And he knew, he knew that there's the potential that the division might seep into the church. He thought to himself, I'm sure it's not going to, after all that I said, after all that I've given them. But just in case, sometimes division seeps into the church. Let me pray for them. Back to the verse. I pray for also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, that the world may believe that you sent me, goes on. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me. It's the second time he said that. That the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Our unity, this is so important. I hope you get this. Our unity is not like, hey, we should be nice to each other. Our unity is not like, hey, you know, don't, hurt, don't hit your sister. Share with your brother. That's not our unity. If, if, it's so much greater than that. It's so much more important. According to Jesus, who seems to know what he was talking about, about one or two things in life, it's mission critical. That the whole operation hinges upon our oneness. Because if we're not one, then the world may not know that he is the one. Them knowing him is contingent upon us being united together. So that's why we came up with this. This is our key thought for this series. Let's read this all together. I need some class participation. I'm seeing some dry, some dry faces right there. All together. We don't just accept one another. We need one another. Again, I want to emphasize need. We don't just accept one another. We need one another. We don't just put up with differences. We embrace them. See, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that his church would one day be filled with a very diverse cast of characters. For people from all walks of life, all, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all kinds of upbringing, all kinds of political views, all kinds of languages, all kinds of everything. And what Jesus said, the only way this operation is going to survive is unity. Because if it's not united, the whole thing falls apart. Jesus knew that if we are united, we cannot succeed. But also he knew that if we are united, we cannot fail. That's a good one. Let me say that one again. Jesus knew that if we are not united, we cannot succeed. But if we are united, we cannot fail. Jesus knew that. 
That's why we're speaking about unity. That's why we're going to fight for it. That's why it's, it's, it's of critical importance for us. It's not an optional. It's not an extra credit. It's not a nice to have. It is mission critical, and that's why we will fight for it. But as I said a minute ago, unity is easier said than done. Because every one of us is unique and every one of us sees the world differently. So that led us to our key thought from last week, week two, which is altogether. Just because there are many wrong ways doesn't mean there's only one right way. Somewhere along the way, we were deceived into thinking that there's only one right way for whatever. Fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're passionate about. We were deceived into thinking there's a right way and a wrong way. And my point is there are many wrong ways, but it doesn't mean there's only one right way. Some of us have the attitude or the mentality of, whoever is not with me is against me. We say, that's in the Bible. I say, yeah, it's in the Bible, but Jesus said it, not me. Like, Jesus can say that, because Jesus is Jesus, and he's only on the right way. So Jesus can say, if you're not with me, you're against me, but me and you, we don't say that. We're wrong all the time. We're biased all the time. We're self-focused all the time. So it's not, if you're not with me, you're against me. No, no, no. If you're not with him, for sure. But who said that you're going to put yourself on the same level there? We're people with biases, with flaws, weaknesses. And did you know, newsflash, you might be wrong every now and then. Did you know that? Did you know that if you say to yourself, like let's say, yeah, like think of it in your mind. Has there ever been a time where you were sure about something? You were sure about something. You were positive. This was the right way. And later you changed your viewpoint on something. Like you changed your opinion. That you believed something, and maybe you matured or you grew up or you had different experiences, and you believed something else. A lot of people are nodding their heads. For those who are not nodding their heads, say, no, anything I believe before I believe right now, I never change any belief. You, my friend, are the very definition of closed-minded. Because <laughs> that's literally what it means to be closed-minded, is that you never change your opinion on anything. Is that once you decided this is the way to go, that's it for life. No, 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 no. It's not, it's that. Jesus is, it, yes, but us, me and you, we think something's right today. We learn more information later. We change our opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. Our unity is not based on us seeing the world the same way. Our unity is not based on us viewing problems and coming up with the same solutions to those problems. Our unity is so much greater, so much greater than something that low. And that's why we talked about last week that we don't need uniformity. We need unity. Now, our, we said this. You don't need to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. This is very much against the world today. Because the world today says, either you agree with me, or I know thee not. But we agree. We don't need to see eye to eye on everything to walk hand in hand. We need unity, not uniformity. We talked last week about the apostles and about how Jesus put together this merry band of men, and they were coming from different walks of life. Imagine yourself. Okay, let's put ourselves in St. Peter's shoes. St. Peter was the outspoken one. He tended to be what was on his mind or came out of his mouth. Let's say you're St. Peter, and you're one of the early disciples that was called. Okay, like in the very beginning, when Jesus started one by one, St. Peter was one of the first ones. And St. Peter, Jesus came to him, and he said, you know, follow me. And, G and he had already gotten a recommendation from his brother Andrew. So Peter's like, you know what, this guy, I don't know who he is, but it's clear he's, he's got a mission. He's trying to accomplish something great. And it's clear that he's got an eye for talent, okay? Like, he, he knows how to pick them, okay? So he's coming to me, and he's saying, I want to change the world, and I want you to help me. So yeah, you know what, I believe in this guy's mission. I believe in what he's trying to accomplish. So you know what? Let's go, Jesus. I'm with you. And I'm getting in on the ground floor 
you know, like when a company IPO, whatever it is, I'm getting in on the ground floor. So I'm expecting we're going to go straight to the top. We're going to take over the world. It's going to be you eight, one. And I'm going to be like a one and a half, like right behind you right there, because we're going to take over the world. We're going to have the best of the best. The elite of the elite is going to be our crew for this mission. And then Jesus goes and invites Matthew, Levi, who was a tax collector, to join the group. St. Peter's thinking what? That's all right. We'll get a do-over on that one. That's okay. Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay, Jesus. You don't realize that he's a tax collector. He's not good for our image. He's not the kind. He's not, he's not what we want to portray here. But that's okay. We'll kind of hide Matthew in the back. Okay, just kind of you know, push him back there. Like everyone's got like a weird uncle or something. Like he'll be our guy. Okay, just throw him back there. But let's go to straight to the top. And then Jesus picks Simon. The other Simon, the zealot, the one who was an anarchist, the one who had a, a target right on his chest, okay, where everyone who saw him, they knew that he's a potential killer, and he probably had killed many people, so he was a threat, like, Jesus, why are you bringing this guy in here? Like, we got enough problems as is, we don't need problems with the, with the authorities, like, that's not a good smart move. And then Jesus said, you don't think that was smart? Let's go find a Samaritan woman, let's make her one of us, and Peter's thinking, oh my goodness, my wife is not going to be happy with this. Now, all of a sudden, the Samaritan woman is part of a group. And Jesus, what are we doing? And then Jesus goes and gets the best of all, Mary Magdalene, lady who had seven evil spirits. And Peter's thinking to himself, we are a weird, weird enough already, Jesus. We don't need any more weird people. And Jesus kept adding and adding and adding centurions and slaves and Gentiles and people coming from all walks of life. And they kept adding rich and poor, left and right. Every people kept adding. And his message to them, to his disciples, was that, look, to be part of me, to be part of us. We don't need to see eye to eye on everything. We don't need to see eye to eye on our political beliefs to walk hand in hand. We don't need to see eye to eye on our worldview to walk hand in hand. We can disagree on certain things. We need unity, not uniformity. Did you know this? That as a member of this church, you can disagree with me. I should be rare, of course. You can disagree with me. Father Anthony, you know, I believe, I believe, you know, we're here in the building, I believe that, the, that this space should be used for this. And I think this room should be locked for this. Okay, we can disagree. Our unity is not based on, 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 on logistical things. You say, you know, Father Anthony, I think that the church should do this event on this time. Well, I, I can disagree. Like, we can disagree. That doesn't make us not united. Our unity is much greater and stronger than anything on this earth. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. This is in the Old Testament. This is even before Jesus walked the face of this earth. It said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. All nations. Not, uni not uniformity, but unity. So as I said earlier, our goal today, you're with me. You're nodding your head. You're thumbs up. You're liking. You're sharing. You're whatever it may be. You are mooing. Do you know what mooing is? Do you, know, do you guys know what mooing is? Mooing, is? mooing is, a, is a thing that people do in churches. Okay, if you find someone who's never been to church, someone said this one time. Why is it that when you go to church, people moo? I'm like, what do you mean people moo? Like, people moo. What do you mean moo? Like, sometimes the preacher is speaking, and people go, mmm, mmm. So a non-church person says, what's with all the mooing? And I was saying, mooing is our way of like, mmm. Yeah. But this subject of unity is more than just mooing material. How can we do something about it? How can I make a difference in the world? Like the world is so big and the church is so, like, how can I make, how can I move the needle? Isn't that, Father Anthony, isn't that above my pay grade? Well, I'm going to show you three subtle shifts in your mind that you can make that I believe will impact the body of Christ. 
Because every single one of us is a member of this body, and every single one of us has a role and a duty to play. And if we all do our part, then absolutely we can make a difference. So we're going to go three shifts in our mind. And the first one is that no one can do it alone, not even me. Repeat after me, no one can do it alone. No one can do it alone, not even me. And I say me, I mean you say me, but me, like you, like none of us can do it alone. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how charismatic you are. I don't care how brilliant you are. I don't care how incredible you are at work. Our mission is too much for one person to do by himself. That's why even Jesus had his disciples. That's why even people like St. Paul didn't accomplish everything by himself. What God is asking us to do leaving us as his disciples to accomplish his mission. It's something that no one person can do. It takes all of us together doing our part. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 22. It says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the, hand, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are are necessary. Let's be honest. Every one of us. This is all of us. So this is no one's perfect. So if I'm saying what's in your head, this is not this is all of us. We're humans. Every one of us could look around here at this church and we could think of someone who we think is not necessary. We could think of a group of people. We may say they're weaker. They're not necessary. They're not adding value here. Like here we are like we are trying to accomplish something. Let's go and those people are just weighing us down over there. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not completely weighing us down, but they're, they're not helping. St. Paul says, no. The ones that you see as weaker, they're necessary. And those stuck-up people over there judging us over here on the left, okay, thinking they're all so cool because they're on the right side over there. We don't need them. No, we need them, even with their stuck up even with their whatever it is. Because those members of the body which seem weaker, middle, y'all are good to go, okay? Y'all are in good shape, okay? Are necessary. The example he gives right here is about a body. He says the eye and the hand and then the feet and then the nose, whatever it is. Let me just ask you a question. Just humor me. It's a dumb question, but just humor me. Why does my eye need my ears? Why does my eye, like my eye's job is to see. I don't need the ears to see. I don't need the feet to see. Those ears do nothing. They just get clogged up with wax and all kinds of problems they cause. They we don't need those. What would you say to your eye if, you, if, you, if it said to you, I don't need your ears to do what I do? You'd say, okay, but the, 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 the body has more functionality than just seeing. The ear plays a different role. It has a different job. It, do, it does something different than you do. And I believe the same about the body of Christ. Is there may be people who you see as weaker, but they play a different role than you. And there may be other people that you see as unnecessary. They play a different role. The mission is too big. The mission is not confined to one person or one type or one group. The mission is too big. And we need everyone playing their specific role. Example, I'll give you a few examples. Who plays a bigger role in the church? Who's more important? Who's more spiritual? Monks or missionaries? Who's more important? We had to get rid of one. We had to throw someone, vote someone off the island. Who would we vote off the island? We get rid of the monks? Or get rid of the missionaries. <laughs> Some said probably the monks. They probably would put up less of a fight because they're monks. They have to be nicer, right? So they seem easier to take down, but no. Well, what I would say to you is that whichever one you got rid of, you would be losing because we need them both. Like I think back in my life. 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a journaler. Okay, I don't know if anyone else here likes to journal, but I'm a big fan of journaling. And I, I journal all the time, and I write every morning, and I do nothing with my journal. I just throw them away at the end. Okay, the value is not going back and reading it. The value is just in the processing things. So I have journals, then I just throw them away when I'm done. But there are three journals that I have not thrown away that I actually keep. And I every now and then look back on when I, when I might need to. The first journal is when I went on my first mission trip in 1998. I still remember some of the stuff that I wrote in that, tr- in that, in that journal where I experienced God in a way that I'd never experienced before. That journal is very powerful. Another one of the journals is actually after my ordination of priesthood, where I spent 40 days in the monastery. And I remember some of the stuff that I wrote there, especially when I was all by myself over there and saw what was in front of me. And I couldn't imagine what God had in store, but I remember God gave me some good stuff. The third journal was uh, when I first got married. Okay, like on my honeymoon and the first days of marriage. And that deserves a? Oh, thank you. Come on. (laughs) I deserve a little bit, okay? Yeah, oh, tough crowd today. <laughs> tough crowd. Those first two journals, the third journal, you're never going to know what's inside there, okay? That's not for your ears, okay? But the first two journals that I'm talking about, those are very powerful moments in my life, very powerful experiences, and I would be deficient if either one of them didn't exist. So I'm thankful that we have monks and we have missionaries, and they play a very different role, but they're both important in the overall picture of the body of Christ. Limiting yourself to one or the others, missing out on the powerful experience that each one offers. Here in the local church, who's more important to this church? People who teach Sunday school or the people who put the toilet paper in the bathroom? Who's more important to the church? Which is a more valuable role? If you got kids, you're like the Sunday school teachers, like they were worth their weight in gold, okay? Because they allow me to sit here and not worry about them for one hour a week to get a break. So we say those are the most valuable people. But if you've ever been in a bathroom and you had a situation and there was no toilet paper, you would say that's the most important person on the planet, okay? My point is we need them both. We need somebody to watch our kids so we can have coffee and enjoy our time. We need somebody to make sure if the coffee hits as hard that we can take care of the situation in a non-awkward way. Who has the best style of preaching? Me? or anybody else. (laughs) Obviously, this is a a tough one, okay, obviously. My point is, okay, my point is, you may enjoy my style, and I thank you for it. Shows you're a man of wisdom, or woman of wisdom, obviously. But my point is, I know that not everybody does. That not everybody enjoys my style, and I don't think that my style is the only style, it's simply my style. And I think the world would be a worse place if everybody was just like me. I think we need, and that's why here in this church, I'm not the only one who preaches, okay? Father Timothy's not the only one. We're not, like, we let people preach all the time because people have different perspectives, different experiences, and we need all those to be a, a healthy and complete and balanced spiritual diet. At least that's what they make me say. No, I'm just joking. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, Jesus said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, if we were all the same, our mission would be deficient. If we were all the same, we could reach that same. Like if all of us were like this, we could reach this type of people. But what about those people and those people? What about the people over there? We need all kinds of different people so we can reach 
different people. If we were all the same, we could only reach the same people. So if you say we don't need anybody else, I would say one or two things. Number one, you think very highly of yourself. You think very highly of yourself. You don't think you need other people. Or number two, you don't care about certain people that you can't reach. Neither one of those is a bad outcome. So number one, no one can do it alone, not even me. Number two, repeat after me. I choose to believe the best about others. I choose to believe the best about others. Not assume the worst. If I'm going to err on one of the two sides, I'm going to err on the side of, I gave people too much benefit of the doubt. I'm going to err on the side of, I believe the best about them versus I assume the worst about them. Like if I get up to heaven, as me personally, you make whatever decision you want. If I get up to heaven and God says, you know, Father Anthony, you were too loving. You were too patient. You were too kind. You gave people too many excuses. I'm okay with that. What I don't want to hear is you are too arrogant. You are too stuck up. You are too convinced that your way was the only way. And you failed to see what I was doing in the world because you're so stuck on yourself. If I'm going to err on one of the two sides, obviously this is the right place to be, but if I'm going to err, I want to be on that side. I want to be on the too nice side. And I'm sorry, God, for being too nice, which I don't even know what that means. I'm sorry for being too loving. I'm sorry for being too accepting and too patient and too kind. I'd rather err on that side. True story. Several years ago, we used to, uh, before COVID, we used to do a conference called Momentum. Okay, and people would come from all over the country, and some people came from other countries, and young people and old people, whatever it was, and they gather here for three days together. And we had, a, we had a great time when we, we would do these conferences. And one particular conference, there was a bishop who was attending with us, and we had like a Q&A session where that bishop was going to like take questions, and people would like submit questions on paper or text or whatever it is, and he would answer those questions. So while we were sitting there, it was a great conference. There was like 500 people there, whatever. Like it was fantastic spirit, fantastic everything. But if you're going to bring together 500 people from all over the place, you're going to get one or two people who are haters. Okay, because that's just the way it is. There's always going to be one. And that's okay. Like, again, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that, you know, in, in, in our world, that, you know, not everyone, not everyone likes things the same way. So that's fine. So somebody wrote a question up to the bishop on a piece of paper, and he answered all the questions. Then he called me up on stage, and he showed me the question. And the question said, you know, I'm from this church. Okay, and he wrote the name, and this is my priest. My priest told me not to come to this conference. Because Father Anthony is a blank, 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 okay? And he said all this stuff. And the bishop didn't say it out loud. He showed it to me, and he said, do you want me to answer? I was, like, kind of all over the place, a little frazzled. So he came up, like, he invited me up and showed me this. And I just, I didn't understand. He's like, do you want me to answer this? And I'm like, oh, the priest, I, I think I read, like, the priest saying he wants to come. I'm like, yeah, he's come, welcome. Yeah, sure, welcome, welcome. Like, I, I don't know what I said, and he could tell I didn't get it. He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, read it. So I read it carefully, and I said, oh. And he said, do you want me to answer this? And basically what he's saying is, do you want me to defend you? And do you want me to like, basically stick this person in their place? And my answer was, it's not necessary. Like, it's fine. I'm okay with that priest not liking me. Maybe if I met him, I wouldn't like him. Like, I don't know, but I don't know him personally. He didn't like me. He, like, I said, no, it's not a big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. He didn't listen to me. <laughs> he answered it. 
Okay, but he didn't say necessarily the name of the priest. And he said, you know, this and this. And then he talked, he talked about unity and he talked about Father Anthony. He's a nice guy. And you know what I mean? Like he said some nice words. But honestly, in front of, and he was doing that for my sake to like defend me. But honestly, I'm saying this in front of God. I'm not just saying this in front of the camera. I'm saying this in front of God. Honestly, it didn't bother me what that priest said. Honestly. Because of this. I chose to believe the best. And honestly, I'm just, I'm, honestly, in my eyes, that priest is probably doing what he thinks is best for his youth. Maybe somebody had told him, Father Anthony's a heretic. Maybe someone told him, Father Anthony, you know, uh, does whatever, teaches whatever. Does. So he, I don't think he had anything personal against me. At least I don't know him. So why would he have something personal against me? Like, what's not to like, you know? <laughs> but I really believe that he was doing what he thought was best. Now, I may be wrong about that assumption, but I sleep easy at night knowing that. I sleep easy at night believing the best. I would rather believe so that, by the way, that when I have since met him and see him at conferences, I got nothing. I got nothing. Because in, in front of God, I had nothing against him. Because I choose to believe the best, and he's doing what he thinks is best. Now, we may disagree about what's best, but that's okay. Like, we don't need to see eye to eye in order to walk hand in hand. I may be wrong in the end, but I would much rather believe the best and be wrong versus assume the worst and be wrong about that. Why? Because this is important. This is important. Listen carefully with me. That priest is not my enemy. That person who disagrees with you is not your enemy. The person who sees the world differently is not your enemy. The person who voted differently is not the enemy. The person who subscribes to whatever belief is not the enemy. Come on. That's not the enemy. We have an enemy. And his name is Satan. And as I said earlier, his job is to divide and conquer. Jesus said about him that he's your enemy. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to kill our unity. He wants to steal our joy. And he wants to make sure that he can destroy our witness to the world. And the way he does that is by dividing us. So we're not going to let him. Bottom line is, that's the enemy. And he's using us against each other. I'm not fighting here. I'm fighting here. And I need you with me so we can stomp him together. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by erring on the side of believing the best versus assuming the worst. Believing the best versus assuming the worst. We'd rather be wrong believing the best than assume the worst and be wrong about that. There's a passage in the scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a famous story of David and Goliath. Y'all know how it goes. David was a little underdog guy, and he whipped Goliath. But the story starts off, David heard, okay, you had Goliath in this field, and Goliath is challenging all the Israelites. David is not there. He's in the field doing his job as a shepherd. David hears about this, and David's like, how in the world is anybody going to talk trash about my God and about my people's God? But they all said, you stay over there. One day, David gets sent by his father to bring some cheese and crackers to his brothers who are standing there at the war. And this is what happens there, verse 28. It says, when Eliab, who was David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. When he heard David saying, why are you guys letting this guy talk trash? His older brother burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Few sheep is a shot at him. You're little sheep over there. I know... I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. And you came down only to watch the battle. Oh, Eliab, are you sure you know? You sure you know? I know. And he accused him of two things. The two things, the two very things that God witnessed that David is not those two things. You know, that, that David's the only guy who said, he's a man after my own heart. 
You know why God said, man, after my own heart? Eliab to probably to stick it to this guy. This guy said, I know how wicked your heart is. God said, oh, really? Because all the people on this planet never been someone's heart like David. He was so sure, so quick to judge. And I think to myself, first with David and Eliab. Imagine that the story had ended with Eliab convincing everyone that David is wicked. Get him out of here. He's just so conceited. Imagine where the people of Israel would be. But more importantly, for me and you, I wonder if there's someone out there, if, there, if there's a David out there in our life, that we are so sure. He is just wicked. He is just smug. She is just arrogant. She just cares about whatever. And as we see right here, couldn't be further from the truth. I will believe the best, not assume the worst. Right, SDSA family? We believe the best, will not assume the worst. Number three, I will make Jesus' love my standard, not my moonshot. I will make Jesus' love my standard, not my moonshot. Anyone know what a moonshot is? Okay, maybe it's a term that maybe not many people are familiar with. Moonshot means like I'm aiming for the moon. I'm aiming for something. Basically, it was like, we're going to hit the moon by whatever. It's called a moonshot, where it's like, I'm standing here today, and I'm going to get there one day. We're going to put a man on the moon. And some of us look at Jesus' love that way. That that's like my ultimate goal, spend the rest of my life. Maybe one day I'll get there, but for today, here I am. Well, I got news for you. Jesus didn't expect that his love would be the moonshot. He expected that it would be the day today. Sometimes you're talking to someone and saying, love this person, forgive this person. What would Jesus do with this person? And the person will respond to me and say, I'm not Jesus. Well, I'm not Jesus. Jesus would do this. Well, I'm not Jesus. Yeah, but you know, you can be Jesus. You can choose to walk as he walked. Because yes, Jesus was fully God, but Jesus was 100% fully man. He was tempted in the same way that you and I are. Jesus walked and he had every weakness that we have. He was in every way like us, except for sin alone. So Jesus absolutely expected us as he walked this road and he chose to love. He expects us to choose the same way. And it's not an extra credit. It's not a moonshot. It's not an if you get the chance. He expected it to be the standard. We'll go to a passage now from the end of Jesus' life. Okay, that, that prayer that we've been looking at in John 17, okay, began earlier in the day with a, with a passage of like a dialogue that Jesus had with his disciples in John 13. It's one really long passage from John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And in it, Jesus is, again, is his final instructions to his disciples. He had been living with them for three years. He had given them a million commands, which were very hard. He told them to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. He told them to forsake all that they have. He told them to turn the cheek, go the extra mile. He told them not to lust even in your, not to let your eye look upon anything, not to let your mind think about anything. He gave them very, very hard commandments. And then at the very end, as he's about to wrap it all up, he says, I got one more commandment up my sleeve. John 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Now you look at this and say, what's new about that? What's new about love? Had love been before? No, before, because before, you've heard of the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you've heard that before. That's always been preaching, preaching, love your neighbor as yourself. That's old. Okay, we do not, in Christianity, we do not follow the golden rule. Okay, Jesus took the golden rule and he went platinum. He went much higher than that. Love others as you want to be loved, that's down here. Okay, that's like before, that's just humanity. 
But Christ set a new standard. Don't love as you, as, as you want to be loved. Don't love as, even as, as, as people deserve. Don't, you love as I love. You love others. Okay, and right now, others, the person who disagrees with you, the person that you can't stand, the person that you think is worthless. You love them the way I love you, and I love them. And in case you're wondering how that works, this is right before Jesus is about to, about to die on the cross. He says, all that you see in me about love, like hold that thought. Stay tuned because what I'm about to show you about love is about to go to the next level. That's the standard. That's the new commandment. That's not extra credit. That's not for the, 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 the elite of the elite. That's a standard. That's what it means to be a Christian. It goes on, verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this all will know you are my disciples. Not if you agree on politics. People will know you're my disciples if you all have this political view. Not if you all speak the same language. People will know that you're my disciples. Not if you all think the same way about this issue that people know you're my disciples. It's the exact opposite. The power of our witness is that we don't see eye to eye on everything. That we are so different. We are so diverse. Again, I told you this last week. The power of this is that I look here, the beauty here is not that we all look the same. Not that we all dress the same. Not that we all come from the same background. That would be ugly. The beauty of this is that we're all different and we're all unique, but we are united together. And what unites us is something so powerful, so much more than earthly, so much more than politics, so much more than anything on this earth can offer. What unites us is him. And we're coming different backgrounds. We're speaking different languages. We have different worldviews. But all of us united under one worldview, which is that he is the Lord. That's how people will know that you're my disciples. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say people are going to know you're my disciples if you have the right teaching. This is maybe a little bit of a touchy subject right here, but stick with me on this. Theology, being right, doesn't convince anyone of anything. Nobody, just so you know, nobody has ever come to this church and said, you know what? I've been away from church my whole life. I realize you guys are right, so I'm with you. Nobody says that. You know what they say? He says, you know what? I don't even know what you believe, but your people are so kind. I actually, I know what you believe, and I know it's actually different than what I believe, but you were so loving towards me. You were so welcoming to me. You opened your arms. It wasn't just you. It was you, collective you. I'm not saying having the right theology doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the sequence. I'm saying that Jesus didn't preach the truth, and then when people accepted, say, okay, now I will love you. Jesus said, I love you, even though you don't even know anything. And once you've accepted my love, now let me tell you the truth. You see the difference? It's very important. So for us, what this means practically is very simple. I don't need to ask you what your political views are to decide whether or not to love you. Doesn't matter to me who you voted for or will vote for. Doesn't matter to me. I don't need to ask you what your background is before I decide that you're welcome here with open arms. I don't need to ask you what your background is. You are welcome here. Hey, you are welcome. I don't need to figure out how you were raised. I don't need to figure out how you raise your kids. I don't need to know which team you cheer for. I don't need to know any of those things. I'd like to know those things to get to know you, but the starting point is we love, we support, we accept, we welcome, 
And everything else comes after that. Everything else comes after that. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus' disciples, as Jesus, we should be the most loving community on the planet. We should be the one place on this planet that anybody can feel loved and welcome and accepted regardless of how they walked in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how people will know who we are. Because that's what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, in my house, my body, my people, it's not like out there in the world. In the world, it's division. In the world, you're either with me or you're against me. In the world, you walk on that side of the street, I walk on this side of the street. In the world, we have, that's, that's out in the world. But in here, what's going to define us, what's going to be the overwhelming characteristic of us, especially, we talked about this, as we move into a new neighborhood, as people walk up and down the street, drive up and down the street and say, what's going on inside that building? Who's that people who's coming in? They, there's something different about them. Is it they all, they're all, they're all uh, the liberals or they're the conservative church? They're all coming and they speak this language or they speak this language. They're all these kind of people or these, these kind of people. They're going to come in and say all that stuff. We're going to say who we are is very simple. We are diverse in all aspects. What defines us is not our uniformity. What defines us is our unity. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what the world is looking for. Because come on, you know this. The world right now looks at churches, looks at Christianity as saying, we don't need any more of that. We don't need any more preaching. We don't need anyone else to just come in and tell us that we're wrong. That's the, 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 the image that people have of the church. Churches just come and tell us what we're doing wrong. Like, people go to the website and say, tell me what you're against, because that's what churches are. They're against stuff. What's your policy? You're probably against that. You're against that. Like, the world doesn't need more people being against. What the world needs is people who have authentic love. Love for God, love for one another, love for the surrounding community. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're called to be. I want to leave you with this final thought. What if people were skeptical about our beliefs but envious of the way we treated one another? What if people were skeptical about our beliefs? I don't know what y'all believe. Y'all believe funny stuff. Y'all spend too much time in church. I don't know what y'all do in there. Your leaders dressed funny. Y'all fast a lot. Your services are long. I don't get the chanting. Just spit it out, man. Just, I'm skeptical about what you believe. But man, oh man, I like being around you. I'm glad, watch this one. I don't understand what you believe, but I like it that my kids are friends with your kids. I don't know what you believe, but I like it that you're on my team at work. I like the fact that there's a Christian on my team at work. I don't know what they believe. Those Orthodox Christians, I don't know what they believe. But man, when I got assigned a supervisor, I'm thankful it's one of them. I don't know what they believe, but I'm thankful it's one of them. You know what? I wouldn't, I, I think I'd be great if somehow one of them married my daughter. I wouldn't complain. I think it'd be great if one of those married my daughter. I think it'd be great if my son found one of them. Even I don't know what they believe. And they're not going to get me to sign up for something, that whatever it is. They're probably going to, but I'm, 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 I like being around them. I like my kids being around them. I'm glad they're in the neighborhood. I'm glad. Imagine that one, by the way. Most places, by the way, when they hear churches move in the neighborhood, no one wants churches in the neighborhood because churches just mean parking is going to be a mess and people are going to be uh, uh, make noise and things like that. Imagine that our neighbors right here, this is our goal. Our neighbors say, you know what? We're glad you're here. We welcome you. We're happy that you're in our neighborhood because again, we don't want to join you. We don't know what you believe. You believe weird stuff. But we're happy that you're here. 
We like the way you treat one another. I like the way your men treat the women. I like that. I see the way your husbands treat their wives. I like that. I want my son to treat his wife that way. I want my daughter to be treated by her husband that way. I like the way your, 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 your children interact with, with non-children. I like the way that, that everyone, like it's an intergenerate. I, I like that. What if people were skeptical about our beliefs but envious of the way we treated one another? That, ladies and gentlemen, that's the goal. That's the goal. Because this is Jesus' last prayer. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. What if us, STSA family, 2023, Arlington, Virginia, what if we can answer Jesus' prayer? What if Jesus is looking down from heaven and saying that they may be one, that they may be one? And what if we look up and say, you got it. We're going to answer your prayer. We know, we talked about this in the beginning. There's a lot of prayers that go this direction. Give us this. We want this. But every now and then, God's shooting down a prayer at us and saying, I want that they be one. What if we are the place? It says, God, we want to align with your heart. We're going to answer your prayer. If we do that, I'm telling you, you have to beat people away with a stick from coming to this place. The mission of Christ will take off, soar like a rocket, and we're able to do this. So I hope, as we wrap up this series, that we can take this again from an agreement, from a mooing, from an emoji, from a sharing, to actual practice, that we, like I said, that we can put a smile on God's face and on his heart by being an answer to this prayer. Let's stand together to pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us your acceptance for us, Lord, how you have, have allowed us to come into your house freely and be part of your body, which none of us is worthy of. I pray, Lord, that, that, that we would put a smile on your face by being one as you prayed. And let each one of us, Lord, take one small step in that direction and hopefully, Lord, can make a big impact on your church and on the community which is around us. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.